I'm Dan. And I'm Dan. Welcome to the We Built This Business podcast as we sit down with ambitious entrepreneurs to discuss their journey and hear about the highs and the lows of running your own company. Each episode, we will find out what it takes to be an owner of a business as we learn about the challenges, the successes, the failures and the future. Welcome to our first episode of We Built This Business with Dan and... And Dan. Very excited. We have our first guest today, Ben Thompson. Welcome to We Built This Business. Thank you for having me. I'm pleased to announce my name isn't Dan. (laughs) Yeah, you're lucky there. There's two two of us here. (laughs) Welcome to our podcast studio. We literally threw it together yesterday. Bits and bobs. Have no idea what to do in a podcast. We've got microphones. We've got some fancy lights and stuff. What do you think, Ben? I mean, I know you're you are in the podcast uh, world. Be already. honest. Be you, honest. You've either got a podcast studio or you've got a shopping problem on Amazon. It, it's one or the other. But you've got microphones. You've got speakers. What do you think of the headphones? First of all, are they comfortable? They're they're amazingly comfortable. I'd recommend them to a friend. That's good. 20 That's quid good well feedback. spent. 20 quid well spent. And also we've got some snacks today. So we did a test run actually a couple of days ago and we made a list of problems that we could foresee in the future and we should sort out before the next one. And I wrote all these problems down and the only one I've rectified was uh, we need more snacks on the table because we didn't have any. That's so true. I've, I've, yeah. I've prioritised here and gone for the snacks top of the list. Exactly, yeah. All it's the other the... audio problems, don't worry about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything else I can talk about that's not business relevant before we begin? I'm excited to get into it, Dan. Okay, I okay. I want to get into it. All right, Ben. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing in this present moment. What's business like? What are you doing? Yeah, so far, far too much. I'm like one of those, I guess, classic entrepreneurs who find it difficult to say no. So my my core business, my five-day-a-week day business, 60-, 70-hour-a-week business is, is a recruitment business, Thompson & Terry Recruitment. I also own now 100% own a networking business, the Oxford Business Community Network. I also run my own radio show. And historically, I've done a little bit in property and that property bit is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Unintentionally, not that I'm keen on becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And also invest in scale up. So my strategy for 2023 and 2024 is, is to build a portfolio of businesses that I'm investing in and advising a little bit. But but you'll be pleased to know don't take too many hours a week because there's not too many left over. So, so you're 60, 70 hours on a re- recruitment business as well as all the other enterprises. How yeah. do you fit that in? If you ask my wife, she'd say not very well. Uh, <laughs> but but Dan, you you get it. You're, you're exactly the same. Is In the world of business, you have the best intentions of actually I'm going to leave at 4.30 and walk the dog, actually I'm going to do this. But from from my point of view, we're as a tiny business, like a really tiny business, we're fortunate to have some quite big clients. Those big clients are hiring at the moment. I think we'll talk later in the podcast potentially about the world of maternity leave. And, you know, my, my number two is on maternity leave. We've got clients that are actively recruiting and I've got a junior team that are growing and will be great in the future. But actually, as a business owner, there's no one above you to do it, so so you need to do it, and and that someone's got to do it. That's a, that, that's the reality. Yeah, that's the reality. So obviously, dialing back a bit. Obviously, you know, you've got the recruitment business. That's the core business, but you've also got Oxfordshire's biggest networking event. So you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So I 
I've networked for, for for many years, and in the early stages, I would go to any breakfast, lunch, or dinner that didn't necessarily. Is that because it was free, or <laughs> I, I would pay for it, believe it or not? But my waistline hasn't hasn't done too well there. And um, when and... I met you, you were ten stone, to be fair. <laughs> um, and now I'm only ten stone too. Um, and... <laughs> second, when I met you, I was only ten stone. It's a theme. <laughs> That's the theme. It's these snacks on this table. That's what you've done. <laughs> And yeah, I attended a lot of networking events. And one of them I really enjoyed was the Ox Business Community Network, run by Mike Foster. Probably two and a bit years ago, um, I was talking to Mike and said, look, I'm looking to set up my own networking business. That was the thing that was in the in my plan. And and I thought there was an opportunity there. And he said, well, at, why why rather than competing with me, why why didn't you come in with me? So makes sense. Um, yeah. So half the business became mine. We changed it from a... And what What year was this? Sorry. So according to Companies House, December 2020, but really January 2021. Um, and we changed it from being a community organisation that was always Mike putting his hand in his pocket because he wanted to give back to a limited company, which was still community focused. We've got some very big members, but we've also got some small independents. And to a limited company that was designed to, yes, make a little bit of money, but at the same time do, do all of our charity work. And that was going really well. We doubled our membership. We became profitable. We, ha- we had our largest ever event with 190 attendees almost. Wow. And, and, and we re- changed running two events a month to 10 events a month-ish. So it really changed that business. And being totally honest, Mike and I have you know, a really good relationship. And a couple of months back, probably three months back now, in in one of our one-to-ones about the business, he said, actually, I want I want out of this. Will you run with the baton? And so that wasn't part of the plan. But I think we all know in business, sometimes things aren't part of the plan. So now, obviously, you're sole owner and Mike still attends those meetings, but yeah. you're obviously the one driving the business forward now. Exactly, exactly. So Mike's just a fan, just a fan, just an attendee, just a member and myself and my, and my administration team behind me are the yeah. people that run that. And I, I've obviously, I've attended a number of OBCN events over mm-hmm. the years, and they're, they're some of the friendliest networking events that you can do. You can just turn up. You always get, say, hi to, you know, everybody talks to everyone. There's no groups, mm-hmm. clicks and stuff like that that you get with other groups. It's, it's a great event to go to. So obviously, you, you're now taking it on yourself as well as your recruitment business, but you also say you've got investments in other areas as well. Can you tell us about about those? Yeah. So being totally honest, um, going back, I suppose, in half a sentence, OBCM wasn't in the plan um, in terms of taking over this now. year. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't in the plan. So my plan really was to invest in, I wanted to invest in something purposeful and I wanted to invest in an e-commerce business. Those those are the two things that, that, that I wanted to do. And... What, what was the reason behind wanting to invest in an e-commerce business? Um, more scalable, for, first, okay. firstly. And if I'm being totally honest, hopefully none of my clients are listening. <laughs> I, I wanted a business that wasn't really client-focused and really dependent on me because I think yeah. that within the recruitment business and networking business, actually, in reality, people want me. Um, if I'm recruiting for somebody, whether it's a senior role or a junior role, ideally, clients want me. So I think I wanted something that was really scalable and I think I wanted something that would test me because I know nothing about e-commerce or knew nothing about e-commerce. And I think for me, mental stimulation is probably as important, if not more so than finances. 
I'm not overly driven by money. We'll have to get onto that later. Which, which I think is quite rare <laughs> for an entrepreneur, isn't it? I, yeah. I think it is quite rare, but but I think that was something that I wanted to do. So, um, so what did you end up doing then? So obviously you wanted to get into e-commerce. Yeah. How did you how did you get into and what did you actually get into? So I did a lot of research and a brand that came onto my agenda were actually on Dragon's Den, Zippersin, which is the panels that go into coats. Dan, you'll know a lot more about this. But when when a lady is pregnant, she gets bigger and her and, and she has a baby grown in her. And off the back of that, the most expensive item in most people's wardrobes is their coat. So in the winter, they can't then get the coat round there, round 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 there. And the body. Their bump. Yep, there we go. Thank, thanks helping with that. But then also, then you have then once you have had the baby, you then you then have a baby carrier and you've got the baby. Do you put it inside the do you, you can't put it inside the coat? So then you've got a coat on the baby, then you've got a coat inside. But actually, the idea of zippers in is the coat goes around the baby, and then if the baby gets hot or if you get hot, you just take the panel out and, and great, your your coat's open. So that was on Dragon's Den. Is that is that where you saw them and did you then contact them or No. So I yes, I did see them on Dragon's Den and I remember thinking, that's quite cool because fast moving consumable fashion, particularly maternity fashion, is the biggest cause of global warming, full stop. Which wow. which I was really surprised. But maternity fashion goes into landfill more than anything else full stop and i saw them there and we reached out to them to actually speak at an obcn event kate the founder said yes of course i will and i was really shocked in the morning because i thought she was a lot more local that she drove two hours to speak at our south oxygen networking event and fantastic i was just amazed so we connected on linkedin and she mentioned that she was looking for investors i was looking to invest and 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 i've done exactly that and i think one of the things that she's really looking for from an investor was yes partly money because there's we've got big plans to really scale globally they're all already a number one amazon bestseller but actually it was very much about putting together a board of investors that have got skill sets and one of the big plans for this year is to build the people team mm-hmm. and that's my absolute sweet spot so i think it was something that was purposeful really good for the environment an e-commerce business that's scaling and doing a lot of work on amazon but a business I felt I could add value to. Do, do they use you for recruitment? Not at this minute in time. There, there is no need. So so from my point of view... They don't use other recruiters? No, not, not, not as far as I know. <laughs> I um, haven't told you that yet. No, 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 not at this minute in time. But I think from my point of view, I think what I quite like about that is that, yes, I've got quite a sizable interest in, in the business, but I've got a very low involvement in the business. Um, So yes, I go to quarterly management meetings yes i'm always at the end of the phone kate and i speak from time to time but in reality i'm doing very little and i think from my point of view i'm somebody who gets bored very easily in business and i'm somebody that quite likes something new and shiny and i think that my recruitment business is tiny but it's profitable and my long-term goal is to retire early it pays my pension and it pays my life so I don't have the capacity to take on something big. So I want lots of little things that I've got small involvement in around that. Can I just ask you a question about Dragon's Den? Yes. I love Dragon's Den. Did this did this person with this idea actually get an offer at all on the show? So the long answer the short answer is no. I'm assuming but... <laughs> no, because you've got the opportunity. Um but but there are still ongoing conversations there. There oh, really, really are. Yeah. So so Dragon's Den and I've 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 been on I um tv a couple of times you've been on dragon's den no not on dragon's den but it's scripted isn't it let's let's be honest it's it's a scripted show and they there's 
three, four, five months of due diligence before you actually get onto the show. And actually, once they get on stage, they already know whether they're going to get an investment or not. So ruined the whole show for me there, Ben. Thanks. Your your podcast has ruined <laughs> Dragon's Den for the country. We're all going to get sued. We'll have Stephen Bartlett on no time telling us otherwise. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. So tell us about, you You mentioned there about, uh, you've been on TV a few times. Yes. So outside outside the world of business, I quite like the sound of my own voice. So, so recently I was on Come Dine With Me and was, uh, yeah, one of the most hated person, people in the nation. Uh, they, the nation was very much Team Lynn, uh, <laughs> Team Lynn as opposed to Team Ben. So, uh, so, so yeah, I... Uh, I was somewhat of a comedy act on, uh, yeah, Channel 4's Come Dine With Me. Have you have you been asked back? Um, um, no. Not to your knowledge. <laughs> no, to your knowledge. no, no, no. The, the, the final phrase was, uh, I would probably never apply for anything in TV related ever again. How do you know that they were Team Lynn? And was, were you getting any uh, notifications on your social media? Yeah, a little bit. So, so Thompson and Terry had to become private for a brief period of time. And I had to make all of my profiles in lockdown for a brief period. There was one lady that was so obsessed with me. She 58 tweets about Ben, a Ben from Come Dine With Me. So she's quite a fan. And are you still with her? She's your wife, is that right? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately so. <laughs> so you actually had to go into, I'm confused, you had to put your social media into lockdown. You, I was amazed, I, I'm an old man, but I'm amazed by the younger generation of trolls. It's like a thing, like they, when they people have this as a hobby, so they wait until TV programmes on. And your, the profiles that were tweeting me were doing it from the show before the show before the show before. And they find the people on each show and, um, and yeah, turn it into their mission to... Um, to, uh, to to make your life unhappy. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah. You're now back on social media yeah. and people aren't, you know, we're not in danger here is what no, I'm no. trying to find out. But potentially after this podcast, we're... we're, we're we could be. We could be. Okay. I've got a fear. Of becoming famous now, which is probably going to happen. Well, when Lynn comes knocking on your door, Dan, <laughs> you say it's the other Dan. <laughs> Lynn was incredible. I miss Lynn. <laughs> I'm sure she'll be back if you uh, DM'd her. What, what was your score? Um, I came last. Ah, oh, shouldn't have asked, sorry. <laughs> so um, I'm just trying to get over Lynn, to be honest, um, the fact that she's messaged you 58 times. Oh, no, it wasn't Lynn yeah. that messaged me 58 times. Lynn blocked me on everything. Lynn, Lynn never wanted to see me ever again. <laughs> so Lynn is the champion. So, so Lynn was the... A 10 out of 10. Did Lynn win come dine with me? I'm not sure. But, um, but I, I, I think Miss Trunchbull in Matilda. She, she, was a, she was a Miss Trunchbull. Former headmistress. She was... I almost called her in a headmaster there. That's probably why she didn't like me particularly. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, she was the character. I'm actually feeling a little bit starstruck right now, Ben. You seem to be a bit of a celebrity. But we're going to go back in time now. We're going to go back in time to where it all started. So where did it all start? Well, where it all legally started was with Thompson and Terry. But I, I was always a bit of a weird kid. Always a bit of a weird kid. Um, and always trying to make money. And um, 
when when my friends were getting pet rabbits or hopefully a puppy every kid wants a puppy don't they but i i know i know your children are fortunate to, enough to have a puppy dan but i i asked for chickens because i had done a bit of research and i realized that i could sell chicken eggs to a family friend who had a bed and breakfast and i asked where they bought their eggs from so I, so for my birthday as as a ver- uh, this height which obviously nobody can see on on on, on a radio i must have been eight nine something like that i'm not sure i got these three chickens and i started selling the eggs to a family friend's bed and breakfast and then I was reinvesting my money from my chickens to get more chickens and in my three bedroom house in South Abingdon I had 18 chickens in the back garden and was making 50 quid a week which pretty comfortably every week selling my eggs to bed and breakfast across Abingdon and to be fair, if I put a parent hat on, although I'm not a parent, I must have been a dream kid in a way, because actually, um, <laughs> once I got to the stage, I, I cleaned them out every day, like without fail. And once I got to the stage where I had, it became less cool, I um, I sold all of my chickens and I also sold the branding that I'd made on my 1998 computer and, 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 and sold, it, sold it as a job lot and, and that was done. So... 18 chickens 18 chickens that's a, a lot of chickens in a, in a three bedroom how, how many eggs a day would you would you get from that you would get 15 ish um because they weren't like your big commercial brands like i so i also did so bear in mind i was well, eight let's say i did quite a bit of research and, and there's a chicken called a moran that lays really so you bought a specific chicken really brown eggs and really bright yolks so my family friend, who is still a family friend in his 80s now, he was like, seriously, like, we spoke about this probably only a couple of years ago, and he was saying, like, their guests in the bed and breakfast were absolutely amazed by the chicken eggs, and they were always asking, like, where can they get it from? Because if you feed chicken sweet corn, the yolks go really bright red off these Moran chickens that, um, yeah. It, so you were already thinking about branding when honestly, you were eight years old? It, it was, it, looking back, it I... I did it to make money and I want and I really enjoyed the business side of things but actually my my journey from that when I remember um, and my mum and dad always talk about it when I when I sold it and and stopped they I said I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to build and I'm going to build businesses and I didn't use the phrase entrepreneur there I used the phrase business owner but but then, that was your first kind of eye opener into to actually making your own money and yeah bringing a product from nothing into into basically making some money from it essentially yeah absolutely and and a birthday gift and not even a particularly generous birthday gift um not not in an ungrateful way but you know three chickens didn't cost much more than a couple of rabbits like it it, it was a you know maybe i don't know 50 quid or something like it was it it was a very normal gift and i did the work myself and i and, and i I never, I never had any help with any of it. I, I did it myself. I once the first B and B couldn't take as many eggs as I was giving them. I went to a second B and B. So two B and Bs had my chicken eggs, and wow. and and I even sold eggs to my parents as well with any leftover eggs. You sold them to your parents who were housing them. Were, were they uh, charging rent? No, no, they weren't charging rent. So so again, I negotiated a good deal. Yeah, I negotiated a good so deal. So from, from obviously, I mean, that's one of the most impressive stories I've heard from an eight-year-old. That's incredible. But from there, did you go obviously a number of years until you then went to Thompson & Terry or what happened after that? Did you have any other experiences? Yeah, so be, being totally honest, the reason why I stopped is I started getting quite good at rugby. So I played played at a decent level and through through my teens, I went from, I suppose, being being just a big kid to to a kid that was relatively good, good at rugby. And um, 
up until I suppose from sort of 17, 18, it was looking like I was going to make it as, as pro. I was going on trial to premiership teams and I got offered a deal with Saracens just before my 18th birthday and then got hit by a car and ended up in a wheelchair before I ever played a minute of rugby for them. Say, say that again, sorry. So yeah, I got hit by a car doing 80 miles an hour and ended up in a wheelchair for a year with a bleed on the brain, a broken foot, and technically I'm brain damaged. So wow. So, so, so that's, another, that's another bomb to drop into the story. But so from that point of view, I had to, I think a COVID word is pivot, isn't it? Yeah. I had to go from early wanting to be good at business to that midpoint where I just really enjoyed playing rugby to that very brief spell where I thought, actually, I might make it. I'm all right here to being in a wheelchair with with quite a serious brain mm. injury. And actually, even you know today, you know, you and I have played five aside together. And the bit of my brain that is really impacted is I don't have any coordination at all. So, and I still have memory problems. But from that point of view, I thought, okay, so what can I do? I'd already got relatively good grades at school. I was quite academic in my early years. But because I was having big memory problems, I thought, I can't go to a good university and do a degree. What I'm going to do is, what can I do? I've always been quite good at talking. So my first ever job was working in a payday loan, cold calling call center um, that doesn't exist anymore. And um, I became their their global top performer in their history at selling payday loans over, over, over the phone. You were in a wheelchair. How did you, or obviously, did you get yourself out of the wheelchair? What did you? Yeah, lo- lo- loads of experts, medics. Uh, and to be fair, the, the latter wheelchair, the problem was, wasn't that I couldn't really walk, although I did learn how to walk again. It was more my balance. And so the part of my brain that damaged was my coordination. So somebody with a big neck brace on all, all down their body, it was more that they didn't really want me to walk for a while because I kept passing out and I kept falling. So right. it was more about kind of building coordination back and, and and my coordination will never completely recover and, and it never has. But, you know, life, life goes on, you learn to live with it. So you... But you I mean, it's incredible that you are, are then able to do sport, you know. So like yeah. I, I knew you through being in goal, for example, and usually a goalkeeper needs coordination. Yeah, so so if you think back to, to goal, the reason why I play five-a-side as opposed to 11-a-side is because... I was always, to be fair, in recent years, that's a very big exaggeration, but I was always fit and healthy and I could throw myself at the ball, but not necessarily catch the ball, which is which, which, which is the point. And the five side, you're not allowed to go in the box, are you? So, 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 so yeah, you know, it, it's, I, I think you're, for, I, I think I was incredibly fortunate to walk away and I was incredibly fortunate, as you say, to be able to play sport again, albeit at a bad level. <laughs> well, I, I, obviously the, you were saying about the the loss of memory you know how does that affect you to this day in quite in quite a small way because i think as a business owner i build the right people around me so i i employ really intelligent really employed really organized people to work with me and actually i focus on on what what i'm good at and build the team to fill the gaps in around me so does it really affect me very often? No. And yeah, I, I live I live a pretty normal life. But actually, I think that when I go back to, I guess, kind of after that, I, I w- walk straight into a job and I was just focusing on my first job was, OK, what could I do and start building my CV? And then each job from there, I had to, I guess, in employee jobs, think about the skills that I needed to run a business, but yeah. the skills that I could do within you know, quite quite a serious brain injury. But at the same time, I never, ever announced that. So none of my employers really knew about it. And, yeah, obviously. And most of them didn't notice it. 
we you know I, we we've known each other since about 2016 mm. and i wasn't i was not aware mm. um so yeah obviously hats off to you so obviously you went into your first job as you know in payday loans um mm. and you did fantastic there where, where did you go after that I had another, I've got another good story for you, actually. So I was approached to go and work as an unregulated financial advisor in Moscow. With so, with Vladimir? Well, well, close to. I, I had to leave the country very, very, very quickly. Um, <laughs> and um, yes, so I, work, I worked in Moscow as, a, as an unregulated financial advisor, a bit off far more than I could chew. And we were selling to, I guess, high net worth individuals that tended to have short careers. So we're selling to like a lot of footballers, politicians, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, just watch the news about Moscow, which will probably explain why I, when I came back quite quickly. So yeah, I came back to the UK. Can you just explain why you had to come back quite quickly? Yes, it's it, it's a very different environment. So there are the laws in Moscow are really or in Russia full stop are very different to the UK. So you you could you could get somebody disappeared very very easily there and the law there is if you get somebody di- to disappear even if you were found out the person who got them to disappear is in trouble but you aren't there there's no i forget the name of the law that if i say hit dan if you can get in trouble for hitting dan but i can't get in trouble for doing so that the drug trade there is huge because the big drug dealers are paying people to go and buy a load of drugs and then taking a cut of it but 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 back to point i i was completely out of my depth i i was employed the person who employed me is now in prison and there's lots of newspaper articles of what he did with the uk government and yeah re, re. So did you apply you know how did you get into that did you apply for it in the newspaper uh no so so the recruitment consultant that i that placed me in my first ever job of course like any recruitment business got feedback after three months and the feedback was after three months wow he's selling more than anyone by a very long way and he then got quite a lot of inheritance he moved over to moscow bought himself a lamborghini quite literally and invested into this business that were a firm of ifas but over there there's there's no such thing as the fca that you have in england or or britain it is completely unregulated so um he was he was earning very silly money and you could earn very silly money but it is a very dangerous job and and for you know me quite well dan and for somebody that particularly in my younger years, found it quite difficult to keep my mouth shut at times. It wasn't... Uh, I can imagine yeah. you in a Moscow nightclub getting a, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> a little bit tasty with a couple of the locals. It, it's very interesting you say that. That was my, fir- that was my first experience on my first night. And, um, and, and yeah, it was uh, yeah, it didn't get much better from there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you, you're back from Moscow. Yeah. What happens, what happens next? So, so yeah, t- two jobs. So, so launch, launch Groupon in Oxfordshire where nobody had heard of the voucher site. And shortly after that, I was calling all of the, um, all of the radio station that I was working for at the time, Jack FM, I was calling all of their, their advertisers and say, why spend money on radio advertising? Come and do a Groupon deal. And Jack FM got in touch with me and then asked me to go and work for them and introduce the voucher offering. So you swap your product. So if you're a gym, you can swap. 20 gym memberships for a radio advertising campaign and we sell them on the radio so so i was involved in that and those were two jobs i absolutely loved jack um, fm is, is obviously the radio station yeah sorry. exactly yeah. yeah exactly so two jobs i really enjoyed but actually i think by the moscow point i had got back to that eight-year-old boy that wanted to set up a business and really my next two roles were about giving me the skills and the platform to really set up a small business so i wanted a job that was within my cv but a job where i could learn 
I guess, innovation, but also I was working with lots of small businesses. I was doing networking. I was doing all of those things, waiting for the opportunity and researching. And one of my clients at Jack asked me to go into business with him. And, and, and I did. So one of your clients, Jack, sorry. So one of my clients at Jack FM. Oh, so, at Jack FM, yeah, sorry. So, yeah. so Mike Terry that you know had, uh, he was working full-time in recruitment and he also had a football coaching business at the time, which of which we're doing a Jack FM deal. And he said, I'm thinking about setting up a recruitment business, but the recruitment business he had worked for would never have any sales element. He was always filling jobs, but he wasn't selling. And he said, well, I want somebody a bit commercial, a bit salesy to do it with me. So we set up Thompson and Terry together and and that's how it all started. Are you working now in your bedroom, essentially, or spare yeah, bedroom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so first, first probably nine months of setting up Thompson and Terry was, yeah, what was the spare bedroom? In fact, it was, in both cases, it wasn't even the spare bedroom. It was a desk in, in a room at our parents' house. So were you working together in the same room? No, no. We're both yeah. working from our houses. We were going to our Costa Coffees probably a couple of times a week. And that that was our business in the early stages. And I think that... I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but the early stages of our business wasn't what you read in business books. It was, we put 500 quid into the business. And Is that 500 quid each? Yeah. For, yeah. Well, in fact, no, I think it's 500 quid between us. We put 250 quid in each. Wow. Um, yeah. And we had a recruitment business with access to no job boards, no clients, and we're going to, and I had never worked in recruitment myself before. And that was our plan of setting up a recruitment business. So this always interested me, but how did you get your your first customer? Mm. So I had never worked in recruitment, but I thought, okay, so who do I know that might recruit that I can convince to give us a go? So I... I mentioned before about property, which which I don't think we've mentioned so far. So in, in early early stages of my life, I bought a rental flat and stayed living at home with my mum and dad. Then I bought another one. Then I bought another one. Um, and the letting agent that I was using, um, I looked on their website. I saw they were recruiting. So I, I emailed the letting agent that had found me my tenants and said, can you introduce me to the person who looks after your recruitment? And in my whole working career to this date, my first ever client meeting, I knew nothing about recruitment, really. And it was a really tough hour, really tough hour. But yeah, we took the jobs on, then we filled them. And wow. and being honest, if I look at my business now, back to back then, it was so embarrassing how we filled them back then. And, and actually, how we filled them was probably luck. But over a three-month period, we we got it and yeah it, it went well so how how did you feel them obviously you know you've got to find a candidate you know so you yeah. don't you did you find them through your website or so so back then we didn't even have a website so we had no access to job boards and we didn't have a website for probably our first three months i had linkedin premium already and back then it was probably it's weird to think that eight and a half years ago that recruiters didn't really use linkedin very much but they didn't and we used linkedin premium to message people on linkedin about this job we had and yeah we 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 found somebody and actually weirdly the person who got that job albeit eight and a half years ago did well and we actually knew of them and weirdly we've just placed that person albeit three jobs later in in a new business earlier today so so it's weird how that happens timing. isn't it but uh yeah. But, but yeah it's 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 full circle it wasn't conventional at the time but i think that we we had a clear vision for that business and the vision was 
we were going to we were going to have a recruitment business that was better but actually we just we didn't want to mess around with business plans for months and years we didn't want to get ourselves in loads of debt and loads of finance we thought do you know what let's get into the market and let's learn recruitment from a position of doing and let's just keep tweaking so you you bootstrapped essentially the business with with no money no investment exactly and no idea of the market essentially you just went for it exactly that exactly that i think that's one of the you know the the biggest recommendations is 80 percent of the battle is actually doing it Mm. you know you can spend years writing the perfect business plan or talking about what you're going to do but how much do you learn by just doing it I would say that I've learned 99.9% of what we do through just doing. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of the hardest thing. And I think the biggest reason when I talk to people who want to set up a business, so we, you know, we've got hundred members at OBCM. The biggest thing is they just don't do it. That, that really is. And I, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And it's turning up, isn't it? Yeah. That's what it is. Exactly. And, and and I think that if I look at my businesses, particularly the recruitment business, you know, it is a tiny business, but it, it's a profitable business and it's a business with a good reputation. And I think the thing that separates our recruitment business to other recruitment businesses that we compete with in inverted commas is 80% of the first CV we send gets the job. The national wow. average is around mm. about 5%. And that's a stat that we sell everything that we do on. And that stat this year has gone up to, well, last year was actually about 84%. So we need to up our marketing, which is the best ever year. And do you you think that's because, obviously, compared to, you know, traditional agencies, because you came from outside of the model of that they've created and, Mm. you know, the way they've done things, that you were able to look at things in a different way? And why do you think it is that you're getting 84% success rate where the national average is, is 5%? Again, you've hit the nail on the head. It was because we didn't come in with the traditional way of being a recruitment agency. So your traditional recruitment agency, if you go and work for 95% of recruitment agencies, that's a made-up stat, by the way, um, in the UK. We don't check them. <laughs> your, your job is to register as many CVs as you possibly can. You'll be targeted to get candidates to come to your office to register. And then once you... Once you've got a job on, you will look through your database and you'll send the five closest to the client and then hope that they go for the interview and hope somebody gets the job. Our point was we're never going to register candidates. We'll take a roll on. We completely understand it. And then we'll be really thorough with the recruitment process to understand who we think would be the best person for the job. And then we'll send that person and really help them to prepare and get the job and be transparent to both parties throughout. And that makes complete sense as a, as a sales process. It does. You're effectively, you're, you're matching people to the role, which is what they, in theory, an, an agency should do. But what you're saying is they basically build their business model on stats. Exactly that, exactly that. And, and actually, if you look at the huge global black brands in recruitment, they do what I what I was talking about a minute ago. We where our competitors were going right, we would go left, and it's really simple. And actually, I think if you look from a business point of view, has it been successful commercially? Maybe not, because although yes, we are profitable, we're still a tiny, tiny, tiny business. But and Hayes, as an example, there's nothing wrong with Hayes. They're a huge global business, but I. So that's you, how we did it so obviously you're saying you're a tiny business but how you know how many people do you employ what kind of revenue are you up to at the moment yeah so so as a business we we employ 
three plus me in terms of revenue we've always been i say we've always been we've been around about 150 grand and of that 75,000 of that's of that's profit in any business that i've done and i think i had the conversation with you off air probably about a year ago in the middle of covid i was in a, a really weird position because i had the reserves in my business to run the business for about two years without without having to make a penny and there was just myself and Aoife that's currently on maternity leave and we we were doing just the revenue that we had with the team we had clients that were coming to us and loved us and would never go into to anyone else and i think you said to me ben why, why aren't you scaling why aren't you going mad yeah. and and from my point of view it's because my business always fits into my personal plan and my personal plan is to earn x which i have been earning for the last seven years and is to pay x into my pension which i have been doing so for the last four years and from my point of view, it's from the recruitment business, it's about to be the lowest risk business possible to keep my business cost down and keep the revenue at the right level. And in terms of my staff, I always want them to double my investment. If they're doing more than double my investment, I instantly pay them more, keep paying them more. And the reason that I do that is because I'm going to make them sticky because then technically they probably can't earn else, more else, elsewhere. Yeah. And that's the business model there. And, and I think... I mean, that's the thing. It works is the other thing mm. is, you know, if, if you're bringing in the income that you want to bring in, that's that's fantastic. That's what everyone mm. wants, isn't it, essentially? So let's have a look at your, obviously, business partner mm. when you set up was with you um mm. how did you structure that partnership because obviously a lot of people will go into business with someone else mm. um how did you set it up and and you know is, is he still with the business now for example yeah so so myself and mike i was probably coming in as somewhat of the apprentice in some ways because mike had run a business I hadn't, apart from my sorry company's house, unregulated chicken business. Um, and um, and so we had a 50-50 partnership, no partnership agreement. We didn't feel that it was a good investment. We would rather wait to get our job board after three months. And that was it. We we The original plan was for me to bring clients on in for him to fill jobs. So did you have like an agreement in place? Not at all. Not at all. We we were registered on company's house and we had 50 shares each. And oh, so 50-50? Yeah, 50 shares each. No so no, no decision agreement. maker, essentially? No, no, which which in hindsight wasn't the best thing to do. So I guess my question is, you're starting a limited company. Mm. In hindsight, it shouldn't have been like that. Why is it better to have not done that? So it's all about voting rights so so if if you in a limited company you have shares and depending on the number of shares you have you've got a voting right to that so in in my case uh mike mike my former the first business partner in the recruitment business a really nice guy we had some of our most heated conversations about an office printer and we just could not agree on this office printer. And I thought he was being ridiculous and he thought I was being ridiculous over this office printer. And and actually, if we had a partnership agreement in place or if I had 51% or if he had 51%, actually, in some ways, that would have never, never happened. But I think that if if someone's listening and what, what should they do in business, they don't necessarily need to have more than 50% shares. You just need to spend money on a decent partnership agreement. Because actually, I think that we all would want the best deal that we possibly can. But I think that sometimes, and I see this so regularly in businesses, 
sometimes business owners go into a partnership with the best intentions and they want to be friends and they feel that they can both add 50% of the money and they both feel that they can add 50% of the, of the strength. And actually, sometimes it can be a really difficult conversation to say, mm. oh, actually, I'm more important than you. I'm going to have 51% or 75% or 80% different thresholds there. Um, but I think our biggest mistake was that we didn't pay money on a decent partnership agreement. And did it cause any major problems in hindsight? Yes, I would recommend that everybody does it, but actually there wasn't any major problems. And I bought his shares for four years in. And of course you, you know, you, you both negotiate and whatever, but it, it, you know, it was fine, but I've heard a lot of cases where businesses have completely closed off the back of not getting the foundations in, in place in, in, in the first instance. I think, I think the most, you know, the, the startup phase, especially, especially when you start from mm. nothing. So, mm. you know, the business is not even a limited company. It is a, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a hard conversation to have because mm. you, you know, there's no value added mm. apart from any money that's being put in is the fact that you're always going to need a boss. Mm. You know, there's someone that needs to be the boss to make the final decision mm. because without that, you are going to have, like you said, you know, you probably spent thousands of pounds arguing about a printer that was probably going to cost you 300 quid mm. just in time. So the other thing is you are growing an asset and that asset, obviously one day you hope to be sold. Mm. So you have to think about everything that goes into that package initially, what you're bringing to the table and then what the fair representation of that is. Mm. Um, but it's that's why, you know, like you said, you would always recommend ideally someone getting something like a shareholders agreement in from mm. the very beginning you said after four years you know you separated as technically as a business partnership would have that happened potentially if you were you know a larger shareholder and you were able to bring the business the way that you wanted to whereas one of the things when you're 50 50 is you always have to run everything past the other one absolutely yeah you, you make a really good point and would would we have separated still? Probably. And I don't think that us separating was about us having disagreements. It was about us having a slightly different vision. And I think that Mike's, you know, the listeners will have to ask him about it, but, but my understanding of Mike's vision was very much to run businesses rather than be in businesses. And, you know, his business after that was a hairdresser's and he's done really well at it. But I think from my point of view, I was so passionate and so fixed, fixated on, doing i wanted to make sure that this is probably a small business mentality i wanted to make sure that every single client we dealt with every single candidate was if it was my son or daughter or my mum or dad that would go that, for that personal job. yeah experience exactly yeah. you guys went your separate ways in hindsight now obviously you know another f four years on happy with the decision that was definitely what you what you feel should have happened yeah um I think I think that was one of the best things I've done in business in terms of how it was dealt with. I think that I got advice, Mike got advice, and actually I think that for me, a lot of business books will tell you how to do certain things, but I think one of the most important things about business and one of the biggest strengths of being a business owner is you can write the rule book. And from my point of view, I always wanted to do the right thing. Yeah. So I bought the shares for... A decent rate mike and i ended up on good on good terms and of, of course there was some some negotiation of course there was but but i think from my point of view i walked out of that deal with my head held high and mike walked out of that deal and was able to open another business and again continue with his life and i think for me 
that was a real turning point in my career because I'd gone from being the salesperson to actually the person that approached Mike about buying him out and actually facilitated what I felt was a fair deal for us both. And I think that Thompson and Terry is such a different business to the one that that was there then. But actually, Mike is such a different entrepreneur to the one he was there. And so and so am I. And I, and I think that that's a real turning point. When I look back to the chapters of my career, it was a deal that I think everybody came out of with a win, win, win. Yes, I probably did pay a little bit more than market rate for, for the yeah. business. But on the flip side, I think that I... Because you, you were getting advice at the time, weren't mm. you, from a lot of people. And, I, and obviously... Your brand as as Ben Thompson as mm. part of Thompson and Terry, you could have technically taken that elsewhere mm. and and just taken the clients probably mm. with you, but like you said, you know that wasn't going to be something you were doing. Your you know your integrity dictated that I was going to do it the right way, and you you know you paid a fair price, like you said. So mm. obviously the good thing is is that in hindsight you're you know you're happy with that decision. It's worked out well. And in business, especially with The Apprentice and Alan Sugar and everything like that, it is almost seen as you need to almost do one over on people mm. all the time. And I, I kind of feel that's not what should be happening. It should be done the right way. Yeah, definitely. I was brought up in Abingdon. I went to school in Abingdon. I played sport in Abingdon, um, certainly in the early stages. And I think from my point of view, a big thing is that, you know, I, I can walk into a pub in Abingdon with no enemies whatsoever. Until you did come dine with me. <laughs> until I did come dine with me. I certainly won't be able to go to Reading uh, with, <laughs> with, without any enemies. But but no, for, from, from my point of view, I, I think it's, as I've, as I've gone through that journey, I've gone from, I fell into a cold calling payday loan job that, that was completely unethical to get into the point now. And I think that as I look at my career, I've become more focus on purpose and values and you know the ultimate goal for for my recruitment business is to become a b corp we're a very very long way away from that what is a b corp so a business that's for the greater good so you look at the impact that you have on the community around you how you look at the impact that you have on your clients your customers the environment etc etc and a really great business for for, to to look at is jennings of gardington so their md paul mabbott's a good friend of mine and they they're a business park and they've put so much work into getting their b corp but actually it's brought the whole community together there and i think that it's such a great way way to do because yes, they're commercial. They're a commercial business that wants to make profit. They're not a charity, but actually they do make profit, but they impact everyone around them in the right way. And that comes in an early stage in our mission statement. It's all about growing as a business, growing as a community, growing for our candidates, for our clients and for our staff. And I think that's that's something that gets me up in the morning. This podcast is sponsored by Shazoo.co. They put together branded swag boxes for new employees that make the onboarding experience personal. Check out Shazoo.co today. Your partnership with Mike, I guess you could say that was an unexpected challenge, but is there any other unexpected challenges? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think I went through probably a three-month period where I where I did the wrong thing in business and there were huge repercussions of everything I did. So 
when I bought the business from Mike, I really wanted to scale it and I had huge ambitions to really push it. And I, I upped our investment in everything by about three times. I went and took a big a big office that was probably four times what I had before in terms of cost, but also in terms of size. We were going into the, the almost Brexit recession worries, I remember, in 2019. Exactly, yeah. So there was a lot of pressure in you know the media that the, the world economy was going to be struggling and businesses were going to be in strain. And mm. being in recruitment, I can imagine that that would have been on your mind. You know, mm. your, your costs have just tripled. But how, I mean, how did you cope with that personally? Being honest, difficulty. It, it was really, really tough. Like looking back at it, it, it was, I think the point was really tough. But I think my, my reaction to things like that has always been to graft. And actually we, although we had a really awful three, four month period, I really grafted and actually as a result of that, personally, I think my own performance was probably the three months after that was the best in my working career. And quite quickly, our business had become a lot more value led. I think our business, our stats had increased rapidly. We started rebuilding our team. We created a graduate program, which which we've now rolled out across 80 different businesses in Oxfordshire. And, and very, very quickly, we recovered but that period of time cost me a lot. I think that I doubted whether I could do business for a period of time in that in that time. And where, where did where did that doubt come from? Was it just because of? How, so I'm assuming you had to down downsize. So two two people left the business, went down to me and one other that was a grad, albeit an incredibly talented grad, and now works for one of the huge brands in London and still on good terms with with our business, but. We we went from a business that had really big ambitions to grow to a business that was really licking their wounds. And we almost had to start again. Like we really almost had to start again. So you've just lost half your capacity mm. with two, two team members leaving the business of your career. Mm. What happens next? So next, the business just works i i launch i launch a graduate program so i did quite a bit of research across oxfordshire and i could only as a what i like to think as a talented recruiter i could only find seven smes in oxfordshire providing graduate programs that's incredible which considering we've got one of the best universities in the world and another that's pretty yeah good, with oxford university on your doorstep and 98 percent of the businesses in oxfordshire are smes that that is that that was scary. So I, I looked at it and I thought, Do you know what? In a small business, every small business has a finance need, a marketing need, a sales need, an administration need. And actually, a lot of those things to the small business owner that wears many hats are a chore or seen as what's a low value activity. And I think in any business book or in any podcast, we're all taught, let's do more and more of the high value stuff and employ somebody to do the low value stuff. But actually... If you look at graduates, so many of them come out of university want an experience. They can't get this job because they don't have experience. They, the old cliche, isn't and, it? Yeah. Exactly that. So I was like, well, what is in a small business or in our small business, because I wanted to prove that it could work, that is seen as a low value activity that actually if I got somebody else to do, we could work for them and could work for us. So I created a graduate business executive job 
which is a mix of searching for CVs, which is always the thing in every recruitment agency in the country they employ junior people to do. But actually, by employing really decent level graduates, you're getting a higher caliber person searching for those. Yeah. But also give them bookkeeping, also give them social media, also teach them around business plans and more kind of complex stuff. So I straight away in my business when I employed Shannon is I took away the rubbish in our business that was a pain or was being outsourced and we didn't have control over it did you basically do like your you know your a b a customer your b customer your c customer your d customer you took away those like c and d customers essentially no not really so it wasn't really client focus it was more chores so it was right it was more workload so i took took out of the business everything that i was doing that wasn't the high level that i could give to someone else or everything that was being outsourced from our business that we didn't have control from. So we were working with a bookkeeper that was amazing, like really, really good. But we do our books once a month. And I and I thought, okay, what if we could have our books up to date every single day so we could always know the financial position of the business? So we did that. Shannon joined. Sorry, I've said Shannon's name again. She won't mind. She literally won't mind. <laughs> um, so the first grad joined and she was absolutely incredible. It worked really, really well. She was promoted within nine months. Um, and... She then went to work for a big brand in London, um, albeit on really, really good terms. And it worked, made such commercial sense for our business. And it took somebody that was, yes, albeit a first class grad from a decent uni, to have a promotion on their CV and really tangible experience. And a small business when you're doing a lot more than you do in a, you know, in a large organisation. Exactly. Going into a small business, you know, everyone's doing a bit of finance, you're doing a bit of marketing, you're doing a bit of sales. You go into a large organisation, the role is a lot more smaller when it comes to moving between departments. Exactly that, because actually big graduate programmes, I I often see candidates who have dropped out of them because they've had their first six months within big business X. They've really enjoyed being in the compliance department or the whatever department, the legal department, family law department. The events department. The events department. (laughs) And then they've moved to the, the the horrible the horrible recruitment department and absolutely hated it and then quit. But the benefit of a graduate program with an SME is you every day you're doing lots of different things that are as adding value to the business. So off the back of that, we we've now we're now onto our fourth, fifth, fourth, fifth graduate. All of them have worked and we've rolled it out across eighty clients across Oxfordshire and it's worked really, really well. I mean, to be honest, that sounds something that we'd be interested in. It's something that I'm a big believer in, I went to university for five years, I came out and I ended up in a British gas call centre, you know, I was applying for jobs and everything that was telling me you need more experience. Mm. And I was like, well, I can't get that experience without starting a role. And so it does resonate home how that could work. So you've gone through a tough period, mm. um, you've brought yourself out of it. We're approaching what I guess is, is, is quite a, a, a tough time, would you say, Dan? It is definitely going to be a tough time coming up for you, yes. Are we, are we going into this now? As in... The we're pandemic? All... Yes. <laughs> I was going to do my game before, that's why... Oh, I, well, let's do the why. game. Let's, let's do, do the a game. game. I like a game. I feel like I need a game. This is my bit. This yeah. is my there bit we go. then. So What's the game? Excited. So this game is called Business Brawl. Great. And uh, it's hopefully going to seamlessly link us into the next question. Brilliant. So basically, I'm going to give you the name of a business, and yeah. then you've got to pair it up with another business in the industry. Very, very simple. So if I said um, Pepsi, you would say... Coca-Cola. Easy peasy. There we go. However, you're against the clock. And we do have... We did did test run yesterday, and our guest, Steve, 
he scored was it 12 he scored 12 yeah he scored yeah. 12 so that's yeah. that's what you've got to beat it's quite rapid but, but i bet he's bribed you hasn't he <laughs> bribed you hasn't he? <laughs> we may have added a few to that finger <laughs> let's see um, how you do danny you're going to be scoring oh and i'm going to be counting Three. yeah all right here we go so your first business and your timer starts now here we go tesco Sainsbury's. bt virgin nike adidas Boots. Superdrug. HSBC. Lloyd's TSB. Tesla. Metro. <laughs> eBay. Amazon. Vinted. Dixons. PC World. Samsung. Gal- uh, Nokia. Thompson and Terry. Allen Associates. Royal Mail. Amazon. Visa. Mastercard, Ma- Maestro. Time is up. I felt pressure there. I can see the pressure <laughs> in your face. It's, it's the it's the it's the sound effect, the music, isn't it? Do you want to know? Do you want to know how many you got? How many? How you're, many not, you... you're not going to believe it. You got twelve. Twelve. Wow. Wow. Twelve. Well, I, I, think we I, need... I feel like my downside is I tried to be funny halfway through and compare a Tesla to a to a Metro. <laughs> Metro. Uh, yeah. I, I was thinking down... Metro. Metro. <laughs> They're both cars. They're both cars. I can't believe Dan didn't pull you up on that one. <laughs> They're a makeup car. I was trying to get, trying to get you the top score. That was why. And yeah, that was my first car, Metro. Yeah, great. So, car. so that is twelve points, which puts you equal on the leaderboard with Steve. So, congratulations. Great. great. We we'll have to have so, an arm wrestle afterwards to see. We can. Top. We could arrange that. We can arrange <laughs> that. We better um seamlessly link into. So, actually. It doesn't really seamlessly link at all into the uh, the talking about the pandemic, but let's talk about the pandemic. Obviously, one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, yeah, I I think it was was for most businesses I speak to, uh, us included. I, I think that you you guys as an organisation, I'm sure as well. We we went from being a business that 99.9999% of, of what we did was permanent office recruitment. And for, for the networking business, 100% of what we did was in-person events. And suddenly offices were closed and suddenly we didn't know when offices were going to be reopened. I think that the first kind of three-week lockdown was quite a nice walk in my very naughty Labrador in the middle of the day and it was a quite nice weather but actually, I think that there was genuine fear for business owners. I think that one of the things that I had done off the back of my, I guess, the biggest challenge we were speaking about earlier was I'd become really fixated on putting reserves into the business and really keeping reserves. And I think the thing that in hindsight I've come out of COVID with is if we hadn't have built reserves the way mm. we did, the I would have been a million times more stressed. Do you have a kind of a rule for the reserves that you keep in the business? Yes and no. Yes and no. So I've got a personal goal that I like a set amount of money to come to me. And I've got a, a rule in my business that I like to double my investment with everything. Off the back of that, our reserves do go past this, but we we keep two years of basic costs with within our business and those two years of, of of basic costs include things that we could cut but from my point of view i would never want one of my decisions to impact someone's life so i wouldn't put somebody's job at risk of course mm. if they weren't performing 
that's you know that that's on them but but at the same time I would never want to put one of my business decisions on someone else so yeah I keep two years, two years within the business so with COVID businesses aren't hiring business offices aren't open with the networking in person stopped I believe with the networking you guys innovated though and brought things online yeah yeah so so the networking business we we did exactly that we we tried to not create online events we tried to give the closest to normality that we could and we tried to give the experience of our online events to be as close to in person as possible so we were doing the little breakout rooms as people arrive we're doing the little huddles we 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 were doing all of those kind of things and then at the end of the meeting rather than just closing it we were just letting the meeting run as people gradually left like you would in the normal thing um within the recruitment business we we've never been sales focused so we volunteered like we we didn't make sales calls to our clients but we rewrote and we've never rewritten a cv for that we've sent to a candidate so sorry to a client but i think we rewrote like 300 cvs or something throughout the pandemic to help people that have been made redundant so it from us it was the pivot was really what we were doing already but it reconfirmed we wanted to be that business that did the right thing and come out of the pandemic not richer but but at the same time have done the right thing was the big thing for us and and how did you how did you cope i mean with with me i found it was particularly challenging mentally not knowing i think control is a big thing that Mm. obviously business owners are used to having Mm. and not having that control you're at the midst of a global pandemic was one of the hardest things to try and get your head around how you could plan and look after people as well. Yeah, w- without a shadow of a doubt, it it was it was really really tough. Like it was it was really tough, and I think that you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the tough part wasn't for me necessarily like the actual revenue really because there were full, there was furlough there was this that and the other. But I think what what was really tough is that we didn't know when it was going to stop and it was so difficult to plan and it was so difficult to reassure people around me you know we've we've got 100 members in the networking organization and we were seeing members genuinely really scared and you know i was speaking to a lot of people that suffer with the mental health mm. and, and and whatever else and, and for me I, I think it was not being able to do anything to help what what was i think the toughest thing yeah, I was on virtual networking events, you know, a couple of months into the pandemic, mm. and people would regularly break down into tears almost, mm. you know, they were, you know, they were so such a loss of, they didn't know what to do and how to, to keep going. And mm. I think, obviously, that's one of the, the most resilient um, aspects of, or positives, I guess, from the experiences, those business owners that were able to get through that, there mm. can't be anything worse than that. No, they can't, they can't, because I think that, Business and personal, there isn't a third thing, is there? There's business, there's personal, there's business, there's personal. And what COVID and the pandemic was doing is it was absolutely ripping apart the personal side of things for so many people. I don't think anyone that I've spoken to doesn't know somebody that it ripped apart. But then on the flip side, it was impacting all of our businesses as well. And I think that that was, I think that was the single thing. It was, it, it was almost like a game of have you ever played that board game buckaroo it was almost like that but you were like kind of putting two bricks on 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 the force for little donkey so business started opening up again how how was it in recruitment did it you know did it come back strong or did it yeah take a bit of time 
I'm not sure, really. Let me reflect on this, because I think that there, we went came out of, of, of COVID with the expectation that it would take a really long time. So if I look at our kind of financial targets and if I look at our expectations, we 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 did all of them out and more so. Um, yes, it was a little bit quiet. And I think that there was quite a lot of fear in the market, particularly from candidates. I think there was really the appetite, the, the real appetite from is too higher, that there was definitely that appetite because I think that what entrepreneurs do and during during this time is look for opportunities and they need people to deliver that. So yeah. there was definitely that, but I was seeing fear, like what happens if there's another lockdown? What happens if, like, will they still pay me? Will this still happen? So, so that was really there. And I think from a networking point of view, there was a real stage in networking, which I don't think we've 100% recovered from yet, looking at the numbers that you get across all of the events across the UK, is you had, during the pandemic, everybody suddenly went online, it just happened. But then after, like when it was sort of coming coming to an end, you had X percentage of people that really wanted to stay online because they didn't feel safe. And I still know a couple of people who fall into that category. And then you had the other percentage of people that hated the idea of online and really wanted to be back in person. And then you had the middle amount that, you know, the serial networkers who don't really mind. But off the back of that, then you had people none of the events having quite the numbers that they had before. So it was really, it was really a weird time, I think, for the whole country and for most businesses. So you, you've moved from COVID, people are recruiting again. There's been a huge pull on the labour market. How is the current recruitment market in the UK? Incredibly strong, incredibly strong. So for, from my point of view, employers up and down the country are employing staff and there's very few people that are unemployed at the moment which means the market's really really strong i think the challenges for employers is is hiring the volume of talent and gone are the days where we can put an advert out and have lots of people apply but from our point of view what we're seeing in the market is there's genuine opportunity for jobs there are lots of great jobs out there and there are still candidates out there but i think that it's in a way easier than before to get really good people into your business as weird as that sounds and i think this is quite unconventional for a recruiter to say it takes a long time Mm. but actually if you follow the right thorough process to find the great a great person you're going to get people that really want to work for you because you're poaching them from somewhere else as opposed to having 50 people apply and you have to sift through 50 cvs and might make a mistake so from my point of view i'm seeing that the recruitment market in oxfordshire particularly and, and wider uk is tough to find people, but there are still gems out there. And actually, I think that in terms of success rate, not just for us, but in terms of our clients, we we are seeing a really good market. And that's really positive considering, you know, all the, the press and the negative mm. and almost like impending doom that's been over like mm. the last nine months, essentially. Mm. So what you're saying is, you know, all of that side of things isn't going to affect, as you see at the moment, the recruitment market. No, no, it's just, I, I think if, if employers have the mindset that I want five people to interview tomorrow, that's where that's where this press is coming from. And of course, there's certain sectors. So a friend of mine runs a driving recruitment agency, and off the back of off the back of international workers and Brexit, which we were talking about earlier, of course there there is a shortage there. Other friends of mine run run different businesses, but I think on the whole, for most jobs in Oxfordshire, that. There are lots of jobs in Oxfordshire, so if you're a candidate, it's easy to get a job. Yeah. But on the flip side, I think that if you're an employer and you're really willing to 
spend time to wait for the right person and really kind of assess yourself in terms of why would somebody work for my organization what what am i offering what is that career journey then actually i all of the businesses that we've worked with and talked to are, are, are getting those good hires excellent we move on now to thompson and terry what is the future and you know obviously with obcn as well and your your investments how do you see the next couple of years yeah, so so Thompson and Terry is in an interesting situation at the moment. You know, we've we've got two grads that are six months into their program and they're doing really well. So they're going to be working towards their their promotion. We've got my number two that is going to be returning from maternity leave, and I've caught up with her quite quite recently. She's really looking forward to coming back. So I think the last year has been has been interesting commercially. It's been good in terms of our team structure. It has been it's been built for the future. So growth growth and we we aren't going to be suddenly becoming a 10 person business but we're going to becoming a five person business this year and then we're going to become a six person business next year so i think that it's going to be an understated thompson and terry but it's going to be a thompson and terry that our turnover will grow by a, a, a percentage and our and our and our profit will grow by the same percentage, which which we're really really excited about the networking business. I think Mike. So how many members are you are you now? With so so hundred members, hundred members. Brilliant. So yeah. so from our point of view, Mike's done a great work job over the last fourteen years. So I think from coming back to this respect piece, I'm not changing anything in OBCN. I, yeah. I, I the members have bought OBCN because of what mike created not what i created but my big focus is about building building the business to stay similar but tiny tweaks so we're focusing on the moment quite a lot about up in numbers that we're getting to events we're up in we're putting a lot big focus on what extra can we offer to members as opposed to changing what we're offering we're thinking about what are those extra layers so we're and actually already this year we've seen some quite a lot of bigger businesses attend a couple of our events which okay. which is so you're which moving is towards different markets yeah. yeah so keep what we've got but just a diverse diverse course i think the best networking events and the best events is having a diverse course i think that the worst thing that nobody wants to go to is have 10 businesses that do exactly the same thing exactly the same size yeah. actually it's about building that kind of diverse diverse network of members fantastic last piece dan I was going to ask you about OBCN. So obviously, if anyone that's listening in the local area, yeah. how do we? How do they get in contact? So anyone's welcome to almost any OBCN event. We do a virtual board meet, meeting for business owners. So apart from that, any OBCN event is welcome to all. To also just Google the Oxford Business Community Network and we'll come up. We're on Eventbrite. Most of our events are on there, but also we're quite active on all the social channels as well. So yeah, anyone listening... We aren't a heavy sell member organisation. Come along, come along a couple of times, and if you want to join, ask for details, and we'll we'll send it across to you. Amazing, great stuff. And obviously, where will people find more information on Thompson and Terry? Again, just Google Thompson and Terry, and, and we will come up. Or one of the things that we didn't talk about today that's been really good for our business is we rank really well on Google now. So Google Avenue Recruitment Agency, Oxford Recruitment Agency, and I'm sure we'll come up as well. Fantastic. What a, what, a, what a journey. What an amazing story. Thanks so much for, for sharing. I'm sure there's lots of uh, useful information there for people to take on board. Absolutely. Any final words from you, Dan? Just been a pleasure, really, hearing the story from, I think the chickens is going to be a personal favourite of mine for a long time. It was time. excellent. <laughs> I see what you did there. But yeah, obviously, you know, hearing, you know, from your accident and the way that you've, you know, created these number of businesses that you're, you know, you're currently have your your hands in is a is you know phenomenal to see and uh, yeah we wish you the best of luck. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Good luck with everything, yeah. And hopefully we'll have you on again in a few years, Ben, and we'll be talking about future enterprises. The the next business has got to be another chicken business, isn't it? Exactly. That's that's the goal. That's what I'm going away with. Yeah. (laughs)